Thanks. Well, good morning, humans. Uh, my name's Robert. I'm the pastor here, and uh, excited to be together again. Some of you have been away for the winter break and are back, and um, we're just glad to get started in the new year. Um, we are going to talk about becoming human uh, for the next few weeks, and I think most, most people uh, think there is such a thing as a human in that there are certain norms that uh, a human should exhibit uh, that are proper norms. Um, the, the problem is we can't decide on what those norms are in our culture today. Um, and so it's a bit of a conundrum where we're all like, yes, there's a human thing called the human and there should be something that's a, that's a norm, but we don't know uh, what those norms are. And it's almost as if we need outside help to understand what a human is and how a human should live. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Uh, it's about the outside help of God coming in and helping to, to reshape human beings, reshape even human community together and the mission that uh, those reshaped humans are on in the world. So I think this is going to be really helpful. I think um, uh, it's going to be formative for us as a church uh, to, to really kind of dive down deep into Jesus' words uh, from this Sermon on the Mount. And this, this idea of the kingdom is a big theme in the book of Matthew and in this uh, sermon. Um, and even in Matthew chapter 4, Matthew sort of describes uh, Jesus' teachings. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, quote, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is sort of his shorthand description of the teaching that Jesus uh, was doing, that the kingdom of heaven is near or it's at hand. And so this idea that becoming a proper human is not looking deep within, but it's looking out and up to God. Uh, and he is being framed in this uh, passage as a king. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. And so the, the Sermon on the Mount is like an invitation into the kingdom. And it's, it's telling us uh, the what of the kingdom, but even the how of, of, of how we become uh, what's being described as the what of human beings. And so the, the opening of the sermon, as you just heard Anse read, is really about the inward transformation that has to occur before we can really embrace the, the what. So this is more the how, right? And um, the introduction of this, um, verses 1 and 2, and you want to look here with me in your Bible, on your phone, in that book that's on your table, on your chair. Uh, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. So that's why it's called Sermon on the Mount. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. Um, so this is pointing to more than just like the teaching venue, you know. It's like, oh, well, he was teaching on a mountain. Um, he's signaling to his hearers that he is the new and better Moses, right? So Moses gives the law on Mount Sinai, right, and makes this very significant covenant with God. 
And so Jesus is letting them know, I am the Moses, the new Moses, the Moses that actually Moses predicted, right? He said, there's a deliverer that's going to come. And so Israel's waiting for this like new and better Moses. And he's signaling to them, I am the new and the better Moses. And he opens the sermon with these words, right? Because it's a big buildup. He opens his mouth and he taught them saying, ta-da! And this is the opening phrase. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? This is the big opener. And if you've ever done speech class or done any kind of communications training, you know the opener is big. And, and so this is his opening phrase. And so this word blessed is going to be used over and over and over right, in the passage. Um, and it's uh, a state of thriving, of joy, right? um, of favor with God. So it's, you know, blessed. It's talking about something to do with God. We know that. And so it's this state of being with favor with God and thriving and full of joy. He's inviting them back in to a full humanity. He said, come on, come on. There's, there's blessedness where I'm taking you. Right? And this makes sense because in the very beginning, Genesis 1, we see God blessing his, his created humans. Right? Genesis 1 Verse 26 says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then in verse 28, and God blessed this is God's heart toward human beings. As he relates with them, he is giving them his favor, and they are experiencing a thriving and a joy-filled existence. This is God's heart for people. And again, Jesus is saying, I want to return you to that. I want to return you to a full humanity in relationship to the life-giving God. Now, He's saying that the road to that begins with being poor in spirit. Literally, blessed are the beggarly, the destitute, the desperate. And this, this is a moral and spiritual bankruptcy that's being acknowledged on one's way back into the blessedness of the kingdom um, I had met a, a homeless man in, in our church in Massachusetts. He'd come on a Sunday morning and had some needs, and I was trying to help meet those needs. And it, it was over Thanksgiving break, and it, we had had a really severe cold snap. And so I got him a hotel room for the week and you know, invited him to come to Thanksgiving to our house, which he did. And, um, but then I also wanted to get him some groceries, and so I'm like, let's go to the grocery store. What do you want to get? And uh, he's like, well, I want to get some fruit. I'm like, okay, great. Why don't we also get, like, peanut butter, canned goods, like some things that can, can, you can have for a while. And he was like, no, no, I just want fruit, fresh fruit. I'm like, okay, you, 
okay, I'm I'm happy to get you fruit, but it's only going to last like two days and you're not going to have any food. And he's like, no, I just want fruit. And and I I found myself getting frustrated with him. Like, that's not smart. And and I was just like, okay, I'm going to start getting some fruit. And I just got him some fruit. And this is is similar to me and and God sometimes, right? God's like, hey, this is what would be really good and, and blessing for you. And I'm like, no, I, I'd like to do things on my terms, on my terms, right? And Sermon on the Mount does not open up on our terms. It's, it's blessed are the beggarmen, blessed are the desperate, blessed are the destitute, right? Um, this is our only proper posture for a holy and all-sufficient God. <laughs> I mean, it's not like God is like, I just want to see you grovel. And if you grovel, then I'll give you what you need. No, it's like, this is what's real. <laughs> this is what's true. We are beggars before a holy and all-sufficient God. I was talking to one of, one of the guys in our church uh, who had experienced a family member who had been a real difficult family member, right? And they, had, they were making horrible choices in terms of, of their moral choices, their, their life was a mess, um, and over the break, over, over the, like Christmas, New Year's, they made a 180 degree turn and just beca- became this wonderful person. I'm like, really? What happened? And he's like, well, um, he discovered he had a very large tumor in his stomach. And went into surgery, nearly died in the surgery, but the, the, eventually the surgery was a success. And he's totally fine. <laughs> and now he's a different person. Like, why did that happen? Well, he got desperate. He got desperate. He got destitute. He got beggarly. Suddenly he's grateful to even just be drawing another breath. And it radically changed his life. Blessed are the beggarly. And what do the beggarly get? The kingdom of heaven. They get the kingdom of God. Like, wait a minute. There's no probation. There's no, like, trial run. The beggar comes in, poor in spirit, and receives the full rights and privileges of the kingdom? Yes. When I came into the University of Texas, I came in on probation because I only had one year of Spanish. And they were like, no, you got to have two years of Spanish coming here. And so you're on probation. If you don't make it, I don't know what it was, 3.3 or something, we're going to kick you out. And I'm like, okay, i got to make it, you know, 3 point whatever. And thankfully, I, I, I made it. That's not how the kingdom of God works. There's no probation. There's no trial run. You come in with your hand of faith open destitute, beggarly. It's called grace. This is how you get into the kingdom, receiving that grace. And when you receive that grace, you become a a citizen of the kingdom with all rights and privileges. And the non-beggarly have no place in the kingdom. There is not like a, oh, well, here's the beggarly category, and then, yeah, some non-beggarly people, they're here too. No. There is no non-beggarly people in the kingdom. Jesus tells this one story to illustrate that. 
And he tells this parable of this king who's hosting a wedding for his son. And he invites a, a whole bunch of people to come to the wedding. And they're all too busy. And they don't feel like coming or whatever. And, and so they snub the, the invitation. They're like, no, I'm not coming. And so this is what happens. His, uh, the king says to his servants, this is Matthew 22, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. And so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot, cast him out into the outer darkness. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now, that's a crazy parable, right? What's going on here? So the, the invitation is to, to come in to the wedding. Not only that, but to also wear wedding clothes that are worthy of the wedding. And this person thought, well, I don't need those wedding clothes. I've got my own clothes. My own clothes are good enough. I'm worthy enough to go to this wedding. It's not beggarly. He's not beggarly. The non-beggarly are not in the kingdom. The other people are like, invitation to the king's banquet? Absolutely. Oh, you want me to wear that? I'll wear it. <laughs> I'm good. I'm in that much need. And they were welcomed into the kingdom on God's terms. On God's terms. Have you come to that place of being Every genuine Christian has come to that place. God has different ways of bringing us to that place. But if you are a genuine Christian, you have come to that place of being beggarly before the grace of God. You have been willing to say, I, I, I'm not worthy to be invited to this banquet and I don't have the proper clothing. But I'll receive the invitation and I'll receive the robe of righteousness that's given to us in Christ. This is the welcome into the kingdom. Now, once you're inside the kingdom and you have those rights and privileges, like what, what does Jesus mention next? A little shocking, verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What? That's, that's odd. Blessed are those who mourn? How can I be happy and thriving and joy-filled and in favor with God and be mourning? Well, each of these Beatitudes has kind of a double meaning. One commentator said the Beatitudes afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. So if I'm comfortable, they sting a little bit. They, they are, they're shocking to me. If I'm afflicted, they're incredibly comfort producing. So if you're mourning, this is very comforting. Because we tend to think if I'm mourning over disappointment or over loss, I'm not experiencing the favor of God. God must be far. This beatitude saying, no, he's not far. He's near to the brokenhearted. He's near to those who are in his kingdom. And uh, those that are 
in the kingdom, right? We came in beggarly. We're aware of our sin. We're aware of the sin of others. We're aware of the sinful brokenness of the world. There's an awareness that comes with being a citizen of the kingdom. And so if that awareness is there, of course we're going to mourn. We're going to mourn over the condition of our own souls and over the world. And again, for those who are not mourning, this beatitude is jolting. We're thinking, I thought the goal of life was to not mourn and instead have a really good time and laugh a lot. That seems to be sort of the world's narrative, right? And there's nothing wrong with laughing, obviously. There's nothing wrong with happiness. There's nothing wrong with joy. Um, but it's not appropriate to laugh when you should be mourning. We, we, my wife and I were just in New York City, and as you're approaching where they have the World Trade Memorial, we don't even go into to the memorial itself, but you can just sort of feel the reverence of that area, and things are just getting quieter as you move closer and more sober. No one's laughing at the 9-11 memorial. That would be inappropriate, right? We went to the, the, the site of the shooting in Uvalde a few months ago. No one was laughing. No one was laughing. It was a sober. And so there's, there's a sense in which sometimes this is, this is what the world does, that, that things are bad. Things are dark. Things, there are things that, about this world that are a, in shambles, and we're laughing. A kind of denial, <laughs> laughing in denial. It's not appropriate. Right? It's appropriate to mourn what's going on in, in the world, what's going on in our own hearts. Blessed are those who are mourning. And, and again, God is near as we mourn both our own souls, but also what's going on in the world. We're showing that we're actually in touch with reality. We're becoming sane. And because of that, we're, we're feeling the weight of our own sin and the sin around us. Um, so, we're, here we are, we're moving into the kingdom. We're, we're, we're having a sense of our spiritual and moral bankruptcy. We're mourning over that. Um, and we're beginning to, to, to have a sense of what is true and good and, and real. And as we, as we grieve that, it begins to develop a kind of inner posture that Jesus calls meekness. Right? This is the next beatitude. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. So we usually think of meek as like lacking confidence, can't make a decision, um, we go along to get along, that kind of thing. That's not really the meekness that's being spoken of here in the Bible. The meekness being spoken of here is more power under control. More power under control uh, or strength under control. Um, when, the, when, when we were raising kids, uh, we had a golden retriever who was very untrained. And so if there's a little kid that ran, you know, into our yard, he was like, you know, jumping on the child. And uh, if, if there was someone just walking down the street, he's like, Poof! just take off and chase the person and jump on them. Um, you know, he's a sweet dog, but not meek. He had a lot of strength, not under control. <laughs> at all. 
um, as opposed to the, 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 the work dogs that my ranching uh, grandfather worked with. He had blue heelers and he had border collies and uh, these were working dogs. And so he would just uh, a little whistle or with a one word command uh, could command these dogs to herd the cattle. And uh, these dogs could have caused some real chaos among the cattle if they wanted to. If they wanted to bark and yip and, and go crazy, those cattle would, would have hurt themselves, literally. And these dogs did exactly what my grandfather said. And they were full of happiness, you could see, in pleasing my grandfather. And my grandfather took great joy and pleasure in the working relationship that he had with these dogs. That's more, that's me. That's me. Those dogs were me. They had strength, but they were bringing it under the authority, under the control of my grandfather. And so this is the kind of meekness that Jesus is describing, right? He's describing a meekness before God, who's our ultimate authority, but also before others. We don't have to be in control. We don't have to manipulate. Because we live in the kingdom, and we are citizens of this good king, we can, we can release control and be meek before God and others. And so we, you know, can know when to step up, when, when to take uh, initiative, and we can know when to step down, when to not. There's this, this good sense of, of how to be a proper human, right, a meek Human. We don't need to participate in the dog-eat-dog world of self-promotion, of, of uh, self-preservation. And so you hear that and you think, well, that sounds good in church, but well, I'm, I'm going to lose my place at work. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose my upward mobility in this world. True. You might. <laughs> you might. But you won't in the life to come. Because it says here you're going to inherit the earth. It's this promise that as, as we, in the name of Christ, live meekly. Again, not weakly, but meekly. Um, that, that we have a long-term perspective, an eternal perspective. We're going to be ruling and reigning with God in his kingdom for eternity. We're going to inherit the new heavens and the new earth, right? And so we, again, it's, it's, a, it's an understanding that helps us to remain meek and not seek control. Um, notice that it's an inheritance. You inherit the earth. You don't earn inheritances. You, you are given inheritance by way of what your identity is. If you're part of a particular family, you inherit what that family had. So as one who came in beggarly into the kingdom, mourning your sin and the sin and the condition of this world, and, and, and now you're, you're being given an inheritance as a, as a gift of grace. And so that gives us this proper foundation to be able to be meek. Everything is going to be flipped on its head. Everything is going to be turned upside down in the coming kingdom. And so as we're Realizing that, we're, we're, we're starting to become more and more the, the kind of human being that God had in mind as, as he created human beings back in the Garden of Eden. 
And we begin to long for this comprehensive transformation of who we are and what we do. And the Bible calls that righteousness. Right? This is the next beatitude. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Um, righteousness describes God, right? who he is and what he does. And who he is and what he does is always consistent. We have no clue what that's like. But this is who God is. Right? He is absolutely consistent. His character, who he is, is always perfectly expressed through what he does. And uh, we, as less than human, are not that. We're not that. I'm reminded of that. Uh, oftentimes in my marriage when I'm like, Melanie, I love you. And then act in ways that are not consistent with love. I'm like, Ugh, I don't want to be like that. I want to be consistent. I want to I be loving on the inside, loving on the outside. When I say it, I want to do it. I want to do it perfectly. Right? Where does that longing come from? It comes from this, uh, I'm, I'm created in the image of God. I, I want to be that kind of a human being. And Jesus is, he is welcoming us into that kind of life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now notice it, that's a, that's appetite. Like that's an appetite for righteousness. That's not just a New Year's resolution. Oh, I'm going to really try harder this year to do this thing that I've never been able to do before. It's a change, a transformation of appetite whereby we're hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of God. We want to be who, who God is and how he acts. We want to emulate that as his image bearers. Right? We're longing for that Genesis 1 where we're blessed. Right? We're in this relationship with the one true God. And the, the means, the primary means that God is using to bring about that kind of righteousness is his word. It is his word. Look, look at 2 Timothy 3. 16 speaks of the scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You can kind of see a process there. We read the scripture and it teaches us some things we didn't know before. And then those things begin to point out parts of us, both our attitudes, our actions that are not consistent with God and his character and his actions. But it doesn't just rebuke us about those things, it corrects us. It helps us to make the turn away from the less than human behavior and toward the fully human uh, actions and attitudes. And as we do that, we become trained in righteousness. Again, this is not just grit your teeth, try harder. We're becoming something new. We're becoming fully human. And God is working that out through the scriptures. We're, we're fond of saying, when we make a mistake, we do something wrong, we're like, well, I'm only human. We ought to be saying, well, I acted less than human. This, this vision of, of who God has created us to be is to be righteous. Right? That who we are inside is being expressed outwardly, and it's glorifying to God. And you, you hear that, and you think, oh, no, Jesus is trying to make us into these like holier-than-thou, righteous people. That doesn't sound 
good. And uh, it's not that kind of righteousness. It, it, because here, what we see in the next beatitude lets us know that it's not. Right? Because look at what's in the next beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall, shall receive mercy. Now, what is mercy? It's really compassion toward those who don't deserve it. It's compassion toward those who don't deserve it. It's one thing to have compassion on a cute little child who's crying. We were in a, a restaurant this last week, and there was this, like, probably one-year-old, and mom had to leave the one-year-old to go, like, get a napkin or something and left the one-year-old there for just, I don't know, maybe, maybe one minute. And so this little kid is sitting all by themselves, and they start crying, and their little lip is quivering. And, I mean, the whole restaurant is like, oh, my gosh. And the compassion is, you know, everyone's just feeling compassion. As opposed to the people on the airplane who were rushing up ahead as we were deplaning. This is not okay, okay? Right? We're, we take our turn. We're one at a time. And these folks are, like, rushing from the back. I don't even think they had a, you know, I don't think they were late to their gate. They're just pushing forward. I didn't feel a lot of compassion for them. But mercy is compassion for those that don't deserve it, right? And this is what God did for us. He gave us mercy when we didn't deserve it. He gave us compassion when we didn't deserve it. So this, this, is, a, another, this is a good test of whether or not we really are beggarly. Because you may have thought, in the first beatitude, you're like, yeah, yeah, that's me. Ooh, I am so beggarly. Yes, I know my need. I, I am humbly ready to accept whatever God has for me. But we get to the blessed or the merciful, and we're like, ooh, I don't feel like that much mercy towards people. I don't feel that much mercy towards people who are struggling and suffering. It, it's a little bit of a test to let us know. We're not that in touch with how needy we are before God and how good he has been and offering that he has in his compassion. Because when, he, when we realize that, it does produce in us a mercy towards people because we realize how beggarly we really are. Um, when, we, when we start to exhibit that mercy towards others, especially those that we might deem not worthy of that mercy, um, we, we really are starting to move toward this righteousness, true righteousness of God, right? And um, as, we're, as we're doing that, we're, we're, we're moving toward this consistency of inside and outside, right? Which is what the next beatitude is about. Blessed are the pure in heart, right? For they uh, shall see God. This, this beatitude is, is sort of the culmination of the inward transformation that's being described by Jesus, right? That the pure in heart are no longer needing to posture or pose toward God and others. There's no more need to puff yourself up. There's no more need to put ourselves down. Uh, we're at rest with God. And, and, and there uh, is, is a, a purity there of inward and outward uh, are, are experienced. And again, 
we can barely conceive of this state of pure knowledge. This is such an, an exciting invitation that Christ is making. Come on. Come on, let, let's see this, this righteousness, this hunger and thirst in you. Let's see it grow and develop. Let's see you move toward this purity of heart, this consistency of, of inside and outside. This is what you're built for. This is what you're supposed to be, human being. Come into my kingdom. Come into my kingdom. It's, a, it's such a, a beautiful invitation. And I... It, he, he, he loves to use the illustration of a child for this kind of state of being, which I think is very profound, right? Matthew 19, 14, for instance, uh, Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. There's, there's something about that that I think illustrates what we're talking about in the Beatitudes, where the, the, the children seem to be the only ones that can just be. They're not worried about the bills that have to be paid. <laughs> They're not worried about when the next meal is coming from. They, they can just be. And, and it's something akin to that that Jesus is saying, come on, come on in here. Come on into this kingdom, you beggar. Like, come on, I want to give, give you this. I want to give you this righteousness. I want to give you this purity of heart. And I really wish that I could just stop the sermon right there. This would, be, this would be great. Just so we could just dance out of here like four-year-olds at a birthday party, you know? Pure of heart. Oh, this is awesome. Um, but the reality is those kingdom dwellers, we also live in a dual citizenship kind of situation. We also live in the kingdom of the world. We are expats. This is what you call people that are not living in their home country. They're expatria. They, they are not in their fatherland is what that phrase means. And so they're still citizens of their home country, but they're not living there on a day-to-day kind of basis. Um, and so you're like, okay, so I'm a kingdom of God dweller, but I live in this kingdom of the world. What's my interaction supposed to be with this other kingdom? Am I supposed to go to war with that kingdom? Or am I supposed to compromise with that kingdom and kind of blend in? What, what, am, what am I supposed to do in, that, in my relationship with that alternative kingdom that I live in as an expat? Well, you seek to make peace. You seek to make peace. This is the, the next beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers. Right? So we've moved from this kind of inward transformation kind of picture. Now we're starting to move out into the other kingdom that we live in day to day. And he's saying, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Um, why do we need to make peace? I don't know if you've noticed, there's a lot of hostility in the world. There's a lot of hostility between human-to-human relationships. There's also a hostility between God and people, right? That because of sin, human beings are separated from a holy God. And so as kingdom citizens, we're moving toward people to bring peace, both between human and human relationships, but between God and human beings. 
And notice that it says we will be called the sons or the daughters of God. That we're, yes, citizens of the kingdom, but our king is our dad. <laughs> that, that, that's, a, that's a massive shift in this Sermon on the Mount when he says this, the sons, the, the daughters of God. You're, you're, yes, you're, you're in a kingdom, but the king is your father. And, and you are never more like your father than when you're moving toward those who are your enemy or are the enemy of God. And you're bringing peace. I mean, this is the message. This is one of the ways to think about the message of the gospel, that it is a, a message that is bringing peace between God and people. And then the fruit of that can be between people and people. The gospel brings peace. That by this grace that's been given to us in Christ at the cross, through faith, we can be reconciled to God. We who were once enemies can now be reconciled in the same way that we were, right? Like if we're, if we're a Christian, then we've come to that place of being beggarly and receiving that grace and coming in through faith. And now we're saying, hey, come with me. Come, come into this kingdom with me by grace and through faith. And that is, that's an amazing message. And it is. And it's a real privilege to be able to, to give that message uh, to people and to invite them in to this kingdom. But it's not always received with open arms. And so Jesus warns us about that in the final beatitude. Talk about a big finish, right? This is not... I don't think what we, you know, th those original hearers, this is probably not what they were expecting as the big finish. The last beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted. Amen. Oh, wait a minute. What? What did you say? <laughs> persecuted? Yeah, that's what he said. Uh, persecuted for what? For righteousness sake. Wait a minute. Didn't you tell me I was supposed to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Yes. Yes, I'm going to change your appetite to righteousness. You're going to want it and desire it and hunger for it and grow in it. And sometimes it's going to cause you to be persecuted. Yeah, he goes on. This is the longest one, really, that he, he speaks on, right? Blessed are, oh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you, others revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, the terms of peace that we are bringing are on God's terms. God is a king. Kings don't negotiate. We're, we're used to peacemaking in the modern world. It's a negotiation. It's like, well, I'll give you this and you give me that and, you know, Putin and Ukraine are going to figure it out and, you know, whatever. That's not how it works with a king. The, 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 the peace is made on the king's terms. He does not negotiate. He's not compromised. There's one way into the kingdom, and that is as a beggar to receive the grace that comes through Christ on the cross. That's it. It's the only way in to the kingdom. And he stands at the ready to bless those who are willing to come to him in humility and receive his invitation. He, comes, he is ready to bless them with his comfort. He's ready to bless them with his inheritance of the entire world. He's, he's ready to bless them with the deepest satisfaction of their souls. 
his righteousness, and best of all, himself. He is ready to do that. But if we don't accept that invitation, we find ourselves in a hellish state of being less than human, self-centered, self-promoting, self-condemned. These are the terms. These are the terms. And not everyone likes that message. And they respond to it by persecuting the kingdom builders. And they sometimes come with a vengeance. And he describes that. And he's going to talk about it more in the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> he's preparing his, his, his disciples. He's preparing his followers to not be surprised when this happens at times. But he lets them know that their citizenship in the kingdom is so good that even if they're being persecuted, they can rejoice. They are still blessed. They're still thriving. They're still full of joy because of this citizenship in the kingdom of God. Yes, they're expats. Yes, they have to do this kind of dual citizenship thing uh, for this amount of time. But that citizenship in the kingdom is so great that it brings about rejoicing right? as we think about ours is the kingdom of heaven now and forever. So are you ready to be fully human? This is what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. It may feel a little bit foreign because we're so used to being less than human that when we're invited to be fully human, it just, it just feels unnatural. We're going to feel that over and over and over and over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to hear Jesus' invitation. He's like, hey, let's go be generous. Let's go be sexually pure. Let's go. And we're going to go, ha, ha, ha. I just don't know if I can do that. And we're going to be placed at this place of, of beggarly again and again and again and again. Like, oh, God, give me grace so that I can embrace this invitation to be fully human. Um, the, I think one of the things about the Sermon on the Mount, even, even this passage, is to not let this drive you to self-condemnation and despair. <laughs> As you think, pure in heart, mm -mm, I can't do that. And just to say, this is just depressing. But let it drive you back to beggarly. If anything will drive you back to beggarly, the Sermon on the Mount will do it again and again and again. But God will meet you there. He will meet me there. Um, Martin Luther, he, one of his quotes, he says, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find and so this, this will be my role and, and a few others that will be preaching is to be one beggar sharing with another beggar where to find bread. We're reminded of this every time we come to this communion table. It's one of the things I love about doing uh, communion is this receiving again and again and again and again this reminder of the gospel. And we're reminded on the night on which Jesus was betrayed and he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Talk about a generous king 
He is a good king. In the same way, he took the cup, and after he had blessed the cup, he gave it to them, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. He knows our needs. He knows our needs. He knows what's going on inside our hearts. He knows what's, what's happening in terms of our action and our inaction. This is what he came to forgive and to transform. And so we're reminded as we take this bread and take this cup over and over and over again of that beggarly state, right? We walk up here, hands out, and we're taking this piece of bread and this cup and we're reminded again and again of the grace of the gospel, the grace that uh, saved us initially, the grace that continues to sustain us as a citizen of the kingdom, as a son and daughter of our father, the king. And that same grace will sustain us throughout all of eternity. We will, we will consistently, uh, over eternity, be that beggar in need of eternal life, and God is going to generously give it because of what Christ did at the cross. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God whose heart towards us is blessing, that you blessed us in the creation, and uh, as we rejected you and separated ourselves from that blessing, you've made a way for us to be invited back into your blessing. And so we're reminded of, the, of what was uh, paid in order for us to be forgiven and to be brought back into this blessing of being in relationship with you. Thank you for this bread, this cup. Uh, we pray that you would bless the bread and the cup in our time as we take it, as we sing, as we worship, as we reflect on uh, what we've heard this morning. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.